praise the Lord. Why don't we start with our scripture reading on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. Thank you. We all know that scripture very, very well, and it's very, very fitting that on this um, Resurrection Sunday that we um, remember that scripture, that verse, and everything, because it certainly has significant meaning for where we are, uh, for what we are about to, uh, to go over today in terms of scriptures. So why don't we start by going to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're going to start with verse 36, and while you're, while you're turning there, um, as we all know, Resurrection Sunday is the most important time of year uh, on the Christian calendar, and as we looked at last week, and which was, uh, is traditionally called Palm Sunday, we realized that, and we studied how when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem riding on the back of the donkey there, that the crowd was just, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we talked about how that very same crowd who was welcoming him into Jerusalem and cheering for him was the very same crowd that would be crying out for his death. Amen. But we know that all of these things were part of God's wonderful, awesome plan to redeem us back to himself. Because as we know, the sin that was committed in the garden thrust all of mankind into sin and had us on a path to eternal damnation. Uh, But with Jesus Christ defeating the enemy and overcoming all of that and taking upon him the sins of the world uh, and resurrection and rising up triumphantly like that, that now we've been saved. We have the ability to be saved if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Therefore, setting us free from that dominion of, of sickness and darkness and death. But we see here in, in Matthew 26, starting with verse number 36, as we know, Jesus knew what he was working towards, and it's important for us to realize what was happening here in the garden. So starting with verse number 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called, called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very depressed. Then then he saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. Jesus knew what he was what was coming upon him. And, and, and even though he was man and God at the same time, he knew what, what, was, what was going to be happening to him, you see. And it wasn't so much the actual death that was concerning him or had him feeling so sorrowful and so mournful that, what, that way, but he knew that at, on the cross, he knew what was going to happen to him spiritually, that he was going to be taking on the sins of the world. And in so doing, for the first time in ever, 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 because Jesus was always with the Father, he would experience separation from his Father. Okay? And this was the part that had him so sorrowful to death. Okay? I, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. Then it says in verse 39, He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless... Not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Okay? That, I think, is a major crossword. Jesus crying out in his anguish and pain and thinking about what was going to happen to him, he still gave in to the Father. He said, however, not my will, Father, your will. You see? And I think this is so significant for us today as human beings and as Christians and whatnot because how many times do we pray and do we want something and how many times do we really and are we willing to say, however, Father, not as I want to happen, but as you want to happen, you see? Because so many times we go forth in our lives, we may pray to God for something, but then we wind up still doing what we want to do, you know? But Jesus gave in to the will of the Father, and so we must always do too, okay? So that in itself right there is a lesson, but now go to Matthew 27, Matthew 27, those scriptures from there in between 27 talk about Jesus' arrest and betrayal, uh, which was was done so illegally because uh, by Jewish law you don't try people at night, but he was tried at night and so forth like that. So it was all set up, uh, you know, where things had to roll out um, the way they did, but uh, the whole trial and everything was a mockery, and as we know, Jesus went before Pilate and so forth, and uh, and, uh, during that discourse too, by the way, and those other scriptures, this is where Pilate said to the crowd, who do we release, Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, release Barabbas and take Jesus. You know, so that, and this is the same crowd that a week or so before was hailing him, hailing him, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they screamed out to, to set Barabbas free and to crucify Jesus. So we see in now, picking up in verse number 33, verse number 33, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and and upon my vesture did they cast lots. In other words, they gambled for his clothing. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. So here here you see they were mocking him. They were saying, you know, if you're the Son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him, with the scribes and elders, uh, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. See, again, they want to see a demonstration before they actually believe. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. So now they're mocking God. The thieves also who were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now through the sixth, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now that's from about 12 noon until about 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, now at this point in time, he was, he was beginning to really feel that God was, was turning his back because he was taking on the sin of man here. Now, if you put a bookmark here and go to Psalm 22, 
go to Psalm 22. You know, we, we really, really need to understand um, how this was very much a part of God's plan and that it is following perfectly in line with prophecy, with what was stated and what was said before. And, and uh, the, the book of Psalm, the book of Psalm was uh, penned over, over a period of time. Uh, many of the scriptures are related to Solomon and, and some to, to David and so forth. Uh, but the book of Psalms uh, was about 10th century B.C., okay? 10th century B.C. So this is some time before these events of the cross actually took place. But you see in Psalm 22, what does it say? 22 verse 1, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am silent, and am not silent. You see, and then these verses go on to describe, uh, to describe uh, um, pretty some of the crucifixion. And so the point I'm making here is that this was prophesied to happen. So what was going on in the cross was fulfillment of prophecy. God had to get Jesus to the cross, and he spoke about it in Old, in Old Testament many times, many, many times. So the, so, so the events were all by design to get Jesus to the cross, and the whole thing is for you and for me, you see? So if we can really, really understand the purpose of the cross and what God was doing there, then you make, the, you make this time of year, Resurrection Sunday, you make it much more meaningful to yourself because you see that God went through significant efforts here through a vast period of time to make sure that our Lord Jesus got to the cross so that, so that our sins could be paid for and that we could be redeemed to him. God was serious about getting us back to where he originally wanted us to be. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about God's divine intention. That had never changed. God wanted us to have dominion over this earth. God wanted to have us to be able to fellowship with him. God wanted to save us for himself. But because of what Adam did, thrusting us into sin, God had to get us back. And this was all a part of the plan. And Jesus was fulfilling that plan down to the letter. So now, picking back up again in Matthew, Matthew uh, chapter 27, and going back where you left off, you can pick up in uh, verse 47, some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man called for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let it be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit. Now please underline, yielded up the spirit. Underline, yielded up the spirit, because again, yield means to give. At this point in time, Jesus willingly gave up the ghost. He willingly um, let it go. So now I put a bookmark here again, and I want you to go to Luke 23. Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 44. Luke 23, I'll be there in a second. Here we are, verse 44. Now, don't forget... The four Gospels that were written, okay, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, many times, well, all the time, it's the same story. But to show you how God is and how God shows us so that we who are students of the Bible can see how realistic it is, is that it's the same event. 
so it's told from four different perspectives. Okay? So it's like all of us witnessing something, you know, and we may go and talk about the show that we saw, saw, but each of us will say it a little bit differently. But it was not getting away from stating the facts. The facts are all the same, but just simply just saying it a little bit differently. Okay? So we see here now in Luke, um, Luke 23, verse number 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all of the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. You see? Now, a minute ago, we just read it, just simply said, then it cried out in a loud voice, and he yielded up the spirit. Luke, who, by the way, was a doctor, so maybe he's just a little bit more into detail, he actually penned and wrote what Holy Spirit inspired him to say, and that is, Jesus actually said, Father, into my hand, thy hands, I commend my spirit. So, going back to Matthew now, Okay, and in verse 50, where we left off, Jesus, when he had cried again in a loud voice, yielded up the Spirit. What he said at that point in time, he knew that it was time for him to give up the ghost. And he just simply said, okay, Father, here I come. Okay, here's my Spirit. Okay, I, I commend the, the well-keeping, the well-being, and everything else over to you, Father. Okay, I'm giving it up to you. And in like manner, or very similar manner, we need to do that ourselves in this, place, in this place and time that we are today. You know, we need to be able to surrender to God and say, God, to you, I surrender my spirit. I, sur- I surrender my well-being. I surrender my plans. I surrender my day. I surrender my action. Anything that you're going and you're saying that I surrender it to you, you know. This is why the Bible talks so much. Again, you've heard me say there are 15 times mentioned different uses for hands many of those is in praising God this is why you see the psalms many times the songs that we sing here in church based on the psalms many of them based on the psalms talk about I surrender my hands to you lifting holy hands to you okay songs we've sang because raising of your hands during praise and worship is you signaling um, surrendering to God you know and I don't know why many Christians resist doing that I don't know whether they think it's not well it's not necessary but all I'm just saying you know God's not saying you're not going to be saved if you don't raise your hands I'm not saying that but if you can get to the point in your life where you are literally just willing to surrender to God then you will find such a difference in your life because you're really making an effort of your will to surrender to God you see and many many times people seem to be ashamed or hesitant to do that because they're afraid of how it looks or how it looks to them or how they may think other people are looking at them and if you can get to the point where you and this is again this is an act of your will saying I'm not going to worry about anyone else I need to surrender myself to God and you're literally by just lifting your hands you'd be surprised how free that will make you feel and you'll find that you are indeed surrendering to God you see but we Christians still we pray to God we'll ask God for this we'll say we want to do that but we don't surrender to him you see because if we surrender to him we wouldn't have some of the issues in life that we have you know, now that doesn't mean that you won't have any issues. Jesus said you will have trials and you will have tribulations. But what I'm saying is that if you're surrendering to God, then you are, you are saying to God, I'm going to take me out of the picture. All right? I'm going to take myself out of the picture. I'm going to take my decision-making out of the picture. And Lord, I'm just going to surrender myself to you. Okay? Which means another thing. If you're surrendering to someone, you're saying, here, guide my life. Take my life. 
do what you will. I, I am not in control anymore. If you have two, two armies warring against each other, and one side surrenders to the other, you think the person that did the surrendering is going to be in charge of his situation? Not at all. The army that he's surrendering to will be in charge of his situation, will be in charge of his life, you see. So when we surrender to God, that means you, you are giving up control. You're asking for God to take it, and you're asking for him to watch over it. You're giving it to him for his well-being, you see. But we as Christians forget that. We forget that so many times. We'll pray to God for something. We'll ask him to bless, bless our school, bless our home, bless our jobs, bless our business or whatever. But then we don't surrender it to him because we keep trying to run it and guide it ourselves. And then when you do that, you forget to pray at the right times. You forget to pray. If you surrender something to God and you're really giving it to God, then Holy Spirit will simply guide you. And then you'll know when to pray. Because Holy Spirit will give you hints. He'll give you glimpses of things to come. He'll give you hints and he'll give you glimpses of difficult times that's coming into your life, coming into your business, coming into your school, whatever it might be, coming into the family. He'll give you hints of it because you surrender to him. You see, if you find yourself having a hard time to truly, truly, truly surrender to God, then you're missing out on an opportunity to be taken to heights that you, you, you can't believe. You see, because then you're asking God to just take control. It's like you're getting in a car, and you're saying, Okay, God, this is my car, and I'm giving it to you. You take me wherever you want. God's doing the driving. And you're trusting God to take you wherever he wants to go. See, but we don't do that in our lives. We'll pray to God. We'll say, God, I wanted this. Blessed, I dedicate this to you, whatever, whatever. Okay, but then we want to take the wheel and drive ourselves. Okay? And that's where we, where we, where we, run, af- where we, we run afoul. Okay? So in this Resurrection Sunday message, There are many, 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 many lessons here. Many lessons for us to benefit from, you see. And we don't realize many times because Resurrection Sunday is so popularly thought of, of, um, you know, Jesus' crucifixion, three days later, Jesus rose. There's a whole life lesson in that process from the time that Jesus was in the garden. However, let this cup, let your will be done. Lord, if there's another way, but however, let your will be done. Life lesson. Going to the cross, Father, I yield up my spirit, I give it to you. A life lesson. Amen? A life lesson. So on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm asking that even after we leave here, that you delve a little more deeply into really what this day means, you know? Yes, indeed, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount importance because without that, we could not be saved. We would, we would be, be, be bound and damned, hell bound, okay? Yes, that's important. But there are life lessons in here that we should also also harp on, okay? So you see, he said, you know, he yielded up the Spirit in Matthew, as it says, Matthew 50. And then it continues in verse 51. And behold, at that time, the veil of the temple was rent or torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints that slept were raised and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, a whole lot was said there, so let's take it bit by bit. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. (laughs) Amen? Okay. One bite at a time. So let's take this one bite at a time. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two, and the earthly quake, and the rocks were, were split open, were split. The veil of the temple... As you've heard me say before, there was a heavy curtain between the, 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 the inner court and the Holy of Holies. And only the very high priest could go through that veil, through that heavy curtain, into the Holy of Holies one time a year. 
Okay, and that's where he communed with God and 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 and, uh, and prayed for the people and 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 the blood and anointing and all of this went on. Uh, you know, for, on behalf of mankind. And they they tied a rope around the high priest's ankle in case if he went in the holy of holies, if something happened to him, they could literally drag his body back out because no one else could go into the holy of holies. So so that was a barrier for the common man. The only time Holy Spirit spoke to man was to the prophets, and that was chosen. At very specific points in time, they were chosen people, and we know who the prophets were. He didn't speak to the... Holy Spirit did not commune to the average person, you see. But Jesus' resurrection, again, a life lesson for us now, opened the way for us through Jesus Christ to talk directly to God. We don't have to, have to appoint a man to talk to God. We don't have to, have to pray to a priest to go talk to God. We don't have to kiss the hand of some human being or go into a confessional booth, you know, to confess to God. We, in the name of Jesus Christ, now have the ability to go directly to God, okay? Another thing here is that with this resurrection here, God made Holy Spirit available to each single one of us. So you don't have to be an Old Testament prophet. You don't have to be a prophet in here to hear from Holy Spirit. Every single believer now is filled with and can hear from Holy Spirit. Okay? Life lesson. The resurrection here is so much more. It's so much more. It brings to us a fullness of life that we oftentimes forget about. When we're running around and we're struggling, we forget the work on the cross did so much. Not only did it give us salvation, but it gave us Holy Spirit. It gave us access to God, you see? So why is it again do we try to do it all ourselves? Right? Why? Right? The veil was torn in two. Jesus gave up the ghost. Boom. The veil was... Now, we've all seen the Hollywood movies. We saw the earth shook and everything, and the rocks fell, and that heavy curtain was torn, you know? Well, that was significant. It says that actually happened. It says it was rent and torn in two. So that signified that the Holy of Holies was no longer guarded by a veil, no longer guarded by a temple. We have access, okay? And then it goes on to say that the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints that slept were raised and came out of the graves after his resurrection. So Jesus is the first one born again, okay? When we say we're born again, we're like the, you know, three billion, eight hundred million, whatever our number is when you were born again. A whole lot of people were born again before us, but Jesus was the first, okay? And these people, they were appeared, and they were seen by many. Verse 54, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Gee whiz, no kidding. You know, underline that. Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Okay, then we see the part there in verse in, in 57 where uh, Jesus was buried, and we see Joseph uh, offered up his tomb. But I want to jump over to verse number 62, jump down to verse 62. Okay. Okay, so Joseph paid for the tomb and so on. Now, verse 62. Now, the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver, please underline that deceiver, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days he will rise again. And let me just pause there for a moment, because I'm in my spirit here. It's so interesting how they were so quick to call Jesus the deceiver. Mm -hmm. 
when they themselves were the deceiver. Okay? When they themselves still exist today in the 21st century. Now hear what I'm saying. They spiritually still exist today in the 21st century and go about deceiving so many. There are so many things and so many practices going on, so many cults, so many things that are supposedly happening in the name of the Lord, okay, that are so far from what God would have us to do, and they're deceiving us Christians, all right? But yes, still, that deceiver. Deception is so roundabout and is so prevalent today, it isn't funny. And it comes in all sorts of guises where it's quoting scriptures, where it's taking half, it's taking half truths, it's taking truths and turning them into half truths, and in many cases out and out lies, you see. But we, because we don't know the Word of God or either are not bold enough to stand on the Word of God, get sucked in by these deceptions. We get sucked in by these deceptions, then we wonder why our lives are living hells, you see. You see. Jesus went to the cross to set us free from all of that. And shame on us, shame on us if we are foolish enough to be sucked in and deceived by things that the deceiver would bring to us. Truth is truth is truth is truth with a capital T. And that truth is synonymous with Jesus Christ. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. There's no watered down way of saying That is it. Period. And anything that comes against that and takes it and, and waters it and, sh- and, and shades it and colors it some different way is not of God. All right? So the work of the cross that was done, on, done here, shame on us if we are putting the work that, in the price that Jesus paid, if we're trampling under it, because we are too lily-livered and too weak-kneed to stand up for the word of God and do what he's telling us to do. Amen? And do what he's telling us to do. So when they say if they deceive, it makes my blood boil away because he, the son of God, who was dying for all of mankind's sins, even dying for their sins, they were foolish, too foolish to embrace him. They call him that deceiver. You see? So that deceiver, the real deceiver, who is being so embraced here, who is literally hiding in the shadows, guiding these people to get Jesus to the cross, not realizing that God was in charge because God had to get Jesus to the cross, because God had a plan, all right? But they were so quick to be there in the crowd, you know, set Barabbas free, kill Jesus. They were so there in the crowd when they arrested him, grab him, grab him. They were so there to stir up and everything, all right? The deceiver. The deceiver today in the 21st century is amongst us. The deceiver is alive and well on planet Earth. And we as Christians need to pray and hope that we have enough sense to let Holy Spirit guide us and to listen to what he's telling us. Holy Spirit knows every single thing that's about to happen in your life. He knows everything that's supposed to happen you know, with, with your school, with your business, with your job, with, 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 your, with, your, with your neighbors. He knows everything. But we need to stop being foolish and realize what was done on the cross If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, Holy Spirit would not be available to us and we would not be able to make sure that our lives are successful today through guidance of Holy Spirit. Amen? So there's a lot more, a lot to Resurrection Sunday. A lot to it. Moving on in verse number 60, well, let me read 63 so of course it all flows here. Saying, sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, unless his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last error should be worse than the first. 
So in other words, they didn't want to make a martyr out of him or make what Jesus was saying was true and make them, you know, start thinking, you know, that Jesus, well, he was the son of God and so forth. Okay, he's risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto him, you have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. This gives us some insights into them, how they were thinking and how the devil is operating too, you see. Because right away, you know, they're thinking that Jesus' disciples have to be as deceptive as they are, you know, and, and, and as lying and everything. And so they have no idea, no kind of believing that Jesus was going to actually rise. <laughs> they just thought he was in there dead. But they thought that his friends were going to come and sneak the body out and put the, the tomb back and then had then tell people, say, see, he rose, see, he rose, you know, being like a magician and, and pulling tricks. That's the kind of nonsense that they did, you see. But the disciples, of course, I obviously didn't have to go to that. That's because you know that Jesus actually did rise, all right? But finally he says, okay, you know, go and do so. And, you know, and, and he said, make, make the, the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So make sure that the tomb is closed up and set some people there to guard it. Chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment like, like white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Good for them. <laughs> and the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse number 6, underline it please. He is not here, for he is risen. He is not here, for he is risen. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have be told, behold, I have told you. Please in the line, there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave much money unto the soldiers. So in other words, these guys went and told them everything that they had seen, you know, the, the stone rolled away and everything. So as usual, just like good politicians, they bribed them, <laughs> tried to bribe the soldiers. You see, you see, things, things don't change. People think that we're living in a terrible age and this age, this age is no different than when it was in biblical times. It's just that now it's becoming, it's so much more out in the open and we know so much more about it because of the electronics and then the, and the Facebook and then and tweet, Twitter, 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 twi wherever it is. Yeah, 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 Twitter, yeah, thank you. Twitter, okay. You tweet on Twitter, that's right. Okay, okay. Thanks to all of the social media now, things that are done in Washington or any other place in a with a politician, we know about all, all, all over the country. 
you see. But that same spirit is still there. You know, you know, if you can't get your way or if you can't make things look like the way you want it to look, then you go and you pay somebody off and you bribe them. So they tried to bribe these soldiers. Verse number 13 says, saying, say, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. You see, they're telling them to lie. Say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. You see? And I, you've heard me speak about a plot that was uh, a book that was out in the late 60s, early 70s called The Passover Plot, where they actually said that Jesus never did really die. The sponge that they gave him was a high-powered drug that put him in a trance like sleep and yada yada yada. Okay, so so they all tried. Yeah, oh yeah, they tried to say. And, and, and this book was on the Times bestsellers for a long time. But anyway, so they tried to say that that all of this did not happen. The same bunch that says the Red, the Red Sea was a, just a, little, a marshy land that had about six inches of water through it and everything else that they try to, to write off because they don't believe that God is who he is and that God is as powerful as he is. But anyway, so, so 15 says they took the money, did as they were told, and this is saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Verse 16 says, then the 11 disciples, underline 11, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Underline, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Amen and amen. So here we see, and then the other, there are other scriptures in here which we won't go into today, where Jesus was seen by over 500 people. Okay? This is after the rest. So, so this, this was indeed a, a reality. We know the scriptures talked about where they were in the room there and the doors and the windows were all shut and Jesus appeared there in the midst of them. You know, and doubting Thomas, as he became known, said that, you know, if I, if I see, then I'll believe. And what did Jesus say? Touch me. Touch my hands, touch my side, you know, proving that he, so he, he, was, he was some sort of a of, of physical person because he was able to be touched. But yet still in this new anointed resurrected body that he had, he had the ability to still to pass through solid matter, to appear in a room that was locked Locked and, and windows are, are, are buried, barred, okay? And this is the same body that Scripture talks about, that as we um, um, go on to heaven, that the same resurrection-type bodies is what we will have. Science can't explain it. I certainly can't explain it. I don't know. And I'm just excited to know all about it. That's all I, that's all I think about, you know. Just think, you know, no more wigs, no more dentures, no more this. <laughs> you know, all of that stuff, I mean, boy, everything will be natural, <laughs> All natural, you know. So I mean, so this is going. This is this is a great thing. This is a good thing. So you know, and, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm I'm saying this partly in, in in jest and in humor, but this should make us feel excited about what Resurrection Sunday is really about. I mean, this is more than just little Easter baskets and egg hunts and little nice little things that we've not done anything wrong with. That I'm not saying that at all. But the Resurrection Sunday is even more than just us understanding that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. 
You know, there's life implication here throughout this whole um, pathway, throughout this whole journey that Jesus took from the time of of him starting his ministry all the way through the cross and then after. You see, you see, And, and, and he was obviously seen. And then he gave them this directive here. Verse number 19. Go you therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, you wonder why in this day and age there is so much opposition to Christianity. My wife and I were having a discussion on this, and, 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 and we, we wonder why that, that now it's becoming more and more blatant, you know. If a Christian does not agree with something or does something, how quickly everyone jumps and, and, and turns on us. But if another group does something or does not do something, it just seems to, 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 to just get washed away or not even spoke or very, very little, little thought of. The work that Jesus did has such implications, has such impact, has such um, um, d- direction for the whole entire human race, believers and non-believers, okay, that Satan himself, the only name that threatens him is Jesus. All right? The other, the, the other names don't threaten him. Okay? Or, 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 you, you, you know, Allah doesn't threaten him. Muhammad doesn't threaten him. You know, you can go through all of the Hindu deities and every other god or goddess that ever was. None of those, those, those entities or whatever threaten Satan. But Jesus does. Jesus does. And this is the reason why. This is the reason why almost anything will pass today. Anything will get by. Excuses will be made for anyone else doing something until when it comes to us Christians. Okay? Because it's who we are and who is behind us. It's the name of Jesus. Okay? The scripture talked about there being times when the church was going to be persecuted. Jesus prophesied that. The word prophesies that. So we can expect that. It's because of who we are in Christ Jesus. You see? You see? And so when he says to go forth and tell uh, and go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he's given us that authority to do that. You see? And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which means that we have that authority to do that. That is a big threat. That's a big threat. And the minute Satan sees our numbers multiplying... Okay, and even though the the press and whatnot doesn't talk about it that much, and much of the Christian church unfortunately is is silent, we are growing in numbers. We are growing in numbers and becoming bolder and becoming bolder in who we are. All right, that's a big threat. There are many people that don't like that because those people are being driven by the devil himself. Okay, they love to stamp out Christianity because if then if it wasn't for us adhering to the Word of God and all that that stands for. Perverse living, moving away from a marriage between one man and one woman, and everything else that goes to that. Amen, amen, amen. We are the only ones with a vocal voice that are still saying, you can try and stamp it out. It's not going to make it true. It's not going to make it such. It's against the word of God. You can take my life, take our lives. It still does not change the truth. It still does not change the truth. Okay? And so they know that. Satan knows that. So that's why, why we are such a threat. This is why Christianity is, is such a threat, you know. And those of us who are half-stepping still, you know, who when it's appropriate and when it's to our advantage, we show our cross, big old cross hanging on us like Flavor flavor or something, you know, we've got this big old cross hanging on us. But when it comes down, when it comes down to really standing for the word of God, you know, we, 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 we're, we're wishy-washy. 
you know, or we tend to look the other way or say, oh, that's okay, that's okay. Instead of sticking to the truth. Okay, what does God say about you? The person who's acting like that. I wish you were hot or cold, God says. But if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. You see? So in these last days as we move forward, and I don't know how long these last days are going to be, as long as Jesus tarries or whatever, you'd better make a decision on what you're going to do with your life. If you want to be safe, if you want to make sure you're succeeding, if you want to make sure that you're, doing, you're going to be okay, so to speak, you need to decide what you're going to do relative to God, relative to standing for truth. Amen, amen. Because in the final analysis, there's only one truth, and that's the truth with a capital T. We can delude ourselves, we can believe other people. The truth is the truth is the truth. Amen. So on this Resurrection Sunday, really think today a little bit, you know, in between dinner and family and friends, and you're enjoying that ham or whatever you're going to be eating on and so forth, and I'm looking forward to a nice meal, you know. But, but in between all of that for the rest of the day, when you're by yourself and you've got a quiet time of thoughts, you know, think about what the resurrection really meant, really means, you know. That come Monday morning, you don't have to stand for the garbage that's going to be spewed out to you. You don't have to stand for it. Jesus set you free from that. You know, you're no longer held in captivity, you know. You can, you can think what you want to think in line with the Word of God. You don't have to be bowing down to someone else trying to browbeat you to do something. To somebody else, you're not going to succeed. You're going to fail. You're not going to be able to do this. Oh, boy, what do you mean do this? I'm not, I never did that before. I've always lived here. You mean live there? You know, you mean do this and not do that? I've never been down that place before. Well, how many in the Bible did God tell to go and do something brand new? And by having faith, okay? Jesus, because of the work of the cross, we've been delivered from fear. Amen? We've been set free from that, you know? Surrendering to God as Jesus did, you know, unto you I commend my spirit, I yield up my spirit. Remember to surrender to God and let him take you to new heights that you can, you can only imagine, that you can't even imagine. Amen? Amen? So I pray this message has been a blessing to you. And again, as we go through the balance of the day, let's meditate and chew on these things a bit and think about them, giving all the glory and honor and praise to the Lord. And I pray that you all have a beautiful and wondrous Resurrection Sunday, enjoy it, and uh, praise the Lord. And now before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time, O oh Lord, and now we come before you in obedience to your word to honor you with our tithes and offerings, O oh Lord. We thank you for the increase that you've given us over the last week or two weeks or one month, O oh Lord, and now we come to you with joy in our hearts to give back to you that portion that is rightfully yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, O oh Lord God, we give to you and we pray that these tithes and offerings are received by you as a sweet savor of incense unto thy nostrils, O Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we anoint these tithes and offerings and we pray that as they go through the banks and clearing houses and are touched by the hands of tellers and clerks that do not yet know you, that they shall come to know you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
Heavenly Father, I also pray in accordance with your scriptures that you shall return to these, your children, 100-fold that which they have given, O Lord. Bless them that they may prosper in all that they set their hands to do. Heavenly Father, we bless you and we thank you for all things in the matchless name of Jesus. And all together the church said, Amen. Let us stand as we close.